My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. So I want to get something out of the way right away. We, as human beings, like to find out whose fault it is. The Exxon Valdez crashes, oil covers the shores of Alaska. We want to know whose fault it is. A plane almost misses another plane at the airport. We want to know which air traffic controller it was or which radar didn't work, right? We're still trying to figure out where COVID started. Did you see now they're saying it comes from raccoon dogs? I didn't even know there was such a thing as a raccoon dog, but they look really cool. I think I'd like to have one, right? We want to know whose fault it is. And the disciples were exactly the same way. Jesus, this man, is he blind because of something he did or something his parents did? Reminds me of one of my favorite stories. Christian lady decided she didn't like being alone and she wanted a pet. She wanted a parrot. She went down the pet store and there was this beautiful parrot. And the man said, lady, I I know you're a church lady. I can't sell you this parrot. He was raised on a ship and he cusses like a sailor. She says, what? He goes, yeah, that parrot has the foulest mouth of any person parrot I've ever met. She goes, you know what? I'm going to take him home, and I'm going to love him, and the love of Jesus will change that parrot. She takes the parrot home, and she uncovers the parrot, and immediately he starts spewing filth. She goes over to the cage. She puts her finger right up in the parrot's face, and she says, you say one more word like that? You will spend 10 minutes in the freezer. He immediately cusses back. She opens the little door, grabs the parrot, and puts him in the freezer for 10 minutes. Opens the freezer, takes him out. Little parrot is shaking, freezing. He says, I have just one question, lady. She says, what? He goes, what did the turkey do? We want to know where the blame is. So this story has nothing to do with blame. I love that story. What did the turkey do? Please laugh all to yourself all week long. Now, you know, because of my other lives, sometimes I think about things in a psychological way, and sometimes I think them in an operatic way. And this would make a really good opera. In the, in the opera, though, you get paid for the importance of your part and the amount of notes you sing. So then in this story, I wonder who would get top billing? Because if you notice, Jesus is just a catalyst. He's at the beginning and he's at the end. He's not the main part of this story. And then you've got the Pharisees. They, They have a pretty considerable part in this. And the parents, they have a little bit part. They come in and say, don't blame us. He's grown up, ask him. The blind man seems to have a a, a large part in this. And I got bad news for you. There's the chorus, the chorus of the townspeople who go. It looks like him, but we don't believe it's him. They would write that for the chorus. And I have no idea who would get to sing that final glorious aria, that Nessun Dormer or that Eluccia Vallestella, the one that ties it all together. This is a confusing story. And then I wonder what the theme of the opera would be. What character group or group of characters would resonate with today's audience, if you were to opera or congregation, 
at church. So I prayed and I pondered and I put pen to paper and I'm struck with the various kinds of blindness in the story. Now, the low-hanging fruit here is the blind man. In fact, we don't know his name. When we get to heaven and we have our little Hello, My Name is stickers, there'll be Lot's wife, right? She has a sticker and, and Noah's wife. And there's lots of people that we don't know their name. And here we go. He'll say, oh, they just call me the blind man, which is sad because now he's the seeing man. But that's the low-hanging fruit. He was obviously blind. But then there were the Pharisees. And they were spiritually blind. They were so focused on what they believed was the truth. That the truth was standing right in front of them. And they couldn't see it. The light of the world. The Messiah that they've been praying for. The prophet, priest, and king. Was right there doing miracles. And they couldn't see it. You know, there's the whole forest for the trees thing. Moses got in the way of them seeing Jesus. And he was right before their eyes. Now, the parents were blind. You may say, really? Yes, the parents were blind politically. Because the Pharisees had said if anybody declared that Jesus was the Messiah or they wanted to follow Jesus, they would be put out of the synagogue. Now, what that meant was they were not allowed to participate in any activity with their Jewish brothers and sisters. They could no longer do business with them. They couldn't fellowship with them. They couldn't just talk to them at the well. They were ostracized from all life in that community. They would lose their income. They would lose their friends and their family. No wonder that they were afraid to say... Yes, Jesus healed our son. All they said was, he was blind at birth, <laughs> and uh, talk to him. Now, I don't know if you know, but if you're applying for a job these days, your old employer is not allowed to say mean things about you. Yep. They call, in the old days, they call and say, hey, Doc Madison, he used to work for you. Yeah. What kind of employee was he? Oh, he showed up on time. He worked hard. We miss him. Or they'd say, ah, Madison. That's the guy who called out sick every weekend. He was sick more than he was here. And when he was here, he was late. And when he was late, he was lazy. And our friend, the lawyer, will tell you, they're not allowed to say any of that anymore. All they're allowed to say is, he worked here from September to November. Now, I do know one manager who used to say, he worked here from there until there. And I probably wouldn't hire him again. That's all you're allowed to say. That's where the parents were. Politically, they did not want to be ostracized from the community, even though I hope their hearts were swelling with excitement and joy because their son, who'd been blind from birth, was able to see. The fear of the politics actually squelched their, their celebration of the blessing. And for us in the chorus... The townspeople were socially blind, right? Does that look like him? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you've done this. You're out to dinner with your, your wife or friends and you're looking across the restaurant and you're squinting. Does that look like someone? Who are they with, right? I'm not sure it looks like them. And uh, sometimes I'll get up and go over and say hello. 
But we're more interested in what we think we see than what we actually see. And then we share that belief with those around us. It reminds me, I, I'm sure that probably some of you have never seen The Life of Brian, the Monty Python film. Brian was actually born in the stable next to Jesus. And the wise men come and, and say, what's the child's name? And the mother says, his name is Brian. And they go, oh, hail Brian. King. And then this shepherd comes over and whispers in their ears that they're in the wrong stable and they take the gifts back and they go over to Jesus. So Brian and Jesus follow each other through life. And Brian also winds up being crucified. And while they're on the cross, they're all singing, let's all look on the bright side of life. It's an interesting thing. But there's this moment where Jesus is teaching and people are at the very back. And John Cleese, if you enjoy him, is one of the people in the back. And Jesus goes, and the lady goes, what did he say? And John Cleese goes, I believe he said, blessed are the cheese makers. And the lady goes, why would he say cheese makers? And he says, oh, I believe he was blessing all makers of dairy products, you know. We're guessing, we're trying to figure it out, but nobody's smart enough to ask. And here we are, friends, and I don't know which one resonates with you, the Pharisees who are spiritually blind, the socially blind, the politically blind. But I want you to know that advertising actually contributes to our blindness. I am not picking on advertisers in general, but there was an American policy analyst named Joseph Overton. And he said that there is actually a window where people at any given time will feel comfortable. Think of it as a sliding window. That, and he, he has a unthinkable, radical, acceptable, there's the beginning of the window, sensible, popular, policy, popular, and then we're getting out to radical, unthinkable. And advertisers think about how to move this window so they can sell their products. It's called the Overton window. It's named after the guy who came up with it. Now think about, because most of us were alive in the 60s, think about what that window looked like in the 60s, politically, socially, spiritually. Think about where that window is now in the 2020s. We have been slowly moved as a society, as a church, as a denomination, that we're saying and talking about things now that we would have never talked about back there. We have been blinded by, and I'm not, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but the Overton window has been moving. I struggle sometimes because my I wonder what my parents, and my mother's still alive, or my grandparents, or my grandparents, great-grandparents, would they think, approve, or disapprove of today's work ethic, morality, or leadership? Now, I want you to know that usually right now is when I would make a list in the sermon, and I hope you like my lists. I like making lists. And I was ready to make a list of all the beliefs we have today that we didn't have 50 years ago, and then I realized that people who listen to this would begin to focus on the beliefs that I was challenging, and we would become the church, or I become the preacher, 
who preached against this or this and this. And I want to be the preacher who preaches about Jesus. So I did not make a list. But I want you to hear this. The enemy has slowly, methodically, deviously, maliciously, and endlessly moved the window. Evil moves the window of our municipalities, our sexuality, our morality, our community, and our media. Think about the commercials that are on TV right now that our parents would have never let us watch when we were kids. Just the commercials. Until the light shines, we cannot and will not and do not see. What's a blind man to do? Well, first we have to do what Danny said before he read the scripture. We need to recognize that Jesus is the light in the song and special music. That's exactly probably why it stuck with me so much this week is I was sitting all alone on a swing set in the park. Troubles were laying heavy on my mind and very heavy on my heart. We've all been there. And what was God's answer? Praise him. Jesus is the light. Don't focus on the troubles. Focus on the Savior. Don't focus on the negative outcomes. Focus on the blessings. We need to recognize the light. The second thing we knew, and I want you to hear this, is we need to look intentionally at the light. Think Jesus and Peter walking on the water. Jesus, Peter, sorry, took his eyes off the light. What happened? He began to sink. He looked back at the light. Back up he goes. That's where we are. We spend so much time, friends, looking at all the things that aren't the light that sometimes we forget to look at the light. The third thing we need to do, and hear this, is let the light shine in you and through you. We have to become part of the light. We have to become a witness because the light is shining through us and the people around us can see better because we carry the light with us. And that's my fourth part. We need to walk, move, live, and love in the light. Now, I got to tell you, Vicki and I were talking about this at dinner the other day, and we were struggling because everybody has times when the light seems dim. And if this was Methodist Church, at least one person would have said, Amen. Let me try that again. For every part of us, there are times when the light seems dim. That was terrible. And then I need to remember Romans 8.28. All things, all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Or I go to James 5. If you're in trouble, pray. Happy? Pray. Sick? Call for the elders, anoint an oil and pray. What's he saying? Go back to the light. And he finishes with, if you are in need of forgiveness, pray. Prayer is powerful and effective as we glorify God. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't know if you've read that story recently. They're standing in front of the king. They're heating up the fiery furnace. And they literally say to the king, even if we're burned up in the fire, even if whatever the trouble is in front of us consumes us, we will not stop loving God. 
Remember back to the turkey? We're always looking for somebody to blame. We spend a lot of time blaming the ill, the cancer, the car accident, the broken leg, whatever, instead of looking to the light. Even if we will be, they say, even if, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, even if we will not be blinded by spiritual, social, or political blindness. So I was thinking, I wish there was a spiritual eye chart. And I could put it in my office. And you come in and I sit you down in the chair like they do at the eye doctor. And I say, okay, look at the eye chart and read it to me. And one person might go, ah, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We know that person is spiritually aware. And another person might look at the eye chart and go, greed, lust, pride, envy, sloth. It would act like a mirror to our spirituals. I would, that would make my life as a pastor so much easier if I had an eye chart and I could tell where you were. But then somebody should say, well, pastor, <laughs> you need to sit and look at the eye chart first. But back to our story. This is not an anecdote. This is not a parable. This is not a sermon illustration. This is real life. He was a real blind man. He had real parents. He had real struggles. He lived in a real town with real people. And dare I say, it's not an opera. But what are the lessons? Do you recognize the light? Are you looking at the light? Does the light shine through you? Are you walking and moving and living and loving in the light? And then I have to give you a warning. When you do the above, you will be different than the people around you. You will be different than the people with whom you work, the people with whom you live, the people who live on your street. And when you live in the light and walk in the light, they feel judged, examined, and measured because they're measuring themselves to your life. <laughs> we don't even have to wag our finger in judgment. Our lives will cause judgment for the people around us. Just by being a light bringer, a person who sees, and a person who isn't blind, you are inviting conflict into your life. And that's why Jesus finished with this, with the line man. He said, for judgment, I came into the world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. The Pharisees thought they could see, and they didn't even know they were blind. The townspeople weren't aware enough to know that there was something to see. But the blind man figured it out. Those who believe they see but don't really are made or left blind. So Lance Armstrong, and I don't know how you feel about Lance Armstrong, but, you know, I'm a cyclist, and it was very exciting when it was going on when he was winning Tour de France after Tour de France. And I don't know if you know this, but between, I believe it was his second win and his third, he almost died of testicular cancer. And he wrote an autobiographical book called It's Not About the Bike. Now, you know, when I wrote this sermon, that was a really good point. 
And I have no idea why I told you that. So we're moving right on to the next point. I am human. So Jesus said, oh, there it is. Jesus sets this up for the title. It's not about the blind man. The blind man got his blessing. The blind man looked at the light. The blind man has joined the Jesus movement. It's not about the blind man. What's it about? It's about the Pharisees, the townspeople, and the parents. It's not about them. You have to go all the way back to the beginning. The disciples said, whose fault is it? And Jesus said, this man was made blind for the glory of God. It's about glorifying God. That's what the opera would be about. Now I understand Jesus or the blind man would get the final aria. Everybody would come out and the scales would fall off their eyes and they would celebrate and bless the Son of God, the light of the world. Seeing the truth or the light, looking for the blessing and adversity, living in a world of darkness, being the light, sharing the light, seeking the light. Why? Because Jesus is the light. Amen.